Thank you for watching today's message. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at mosaicneo.org give. And don't forget to share your story with us by emailing us at connect at mosaicneo.org. We are blessed here uh, at Mosaic to have on our pastoral staff some different stages of life represented. Um, so I, I got some help from some different people today. So uh, this is Jonathan, our worship leader. Uh, he's awesome. And his wife, who is even more awesome. <laughs> they've been married. <laughs> set you up for that. Uh, they've been married two years. And they don't have kids yet, but they're kind of thinking about it. Just bought a house, like, what, a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. Heck yeah. First house. When's the ho- Are we all invited to the housewarming party or no? Okay. But uh, we should all get them something. Home Depot gift cards are welcome. That should be like a thing. You guys, man. First house is a big deal. Then we have uh, me and Lisa. We've been married 15 years. Uh, nobody clapped. Nobody cares. It's all right. We have three kids and one on the way. Did you know that? Due in April, which is Easter. So we had a talk, because <laughs> kids are not supposed to inconvenience your life at all, so it's one of the lessons. And uh, over here, we have Scott and Melinda, so Scott's our, our youth pastor, and they've been married 31 years. Woo! Yeah, they definitely deserve a uh, round of applause for that. Two adult kids who love Jesus, I would call successfully parented. I don't know about your opinion, but I think they are. And uh, it's so empty nest veterans of marriage sitting over here. It's funny because, whatever, listen, while I am younger than Scott, I have more gray hair and less energy. So, what, like, he can be uh, older than me all he wants. He still uh, is the energizer bunny. So, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm kind of moderating today, and uh, I, I, I want to dig into some of the topics we've already talked about and kind of put some real life uh, kind of flesh on the bones of what we've already talked about and just have the, the different stages kind of talk about the different things. So uh, because we have a bunch of people who are long-winded, I won't say who, I'm going to set a timer. <laughs> I've gone over like every week for the past three weeks, so I can't talk. Uh, but he's talking about you, Scott. <laughs> just to clarify, I was talking about Scott because he talks. Once no he chance, starts, you. <laughs> once he starts talking, he just... Yeah, he gets going, so it's good. So I'm going to put a timer on you so you cannot keep going. So I wanted to start with the subject of communication. Uh, the main verse we looked at uh, that week was James 1.19. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Um, so the question I kind of want to just ask you guys, like, what have you done to get good at communication? Uh, and built into that question is two assumptions. Number one, that you are good at it. <laughs> And number two, that you weren't always. So, so what does that look like in your relationship? Well, I think when we got together, we thought, you know, there's all the fun and excitement of a new relationship, and, and that was going really great, getting to know one another. I remember trips where we would drive and just talk for hours about each other and learn from each other uh, things that we didn't know. So it was so fun and fascinating. And so while that was going on, there was so much that it was, it was just fun to learn from each other. So we're constantly asking questions. And, but um, it wasn't long into it until we figured out that we're not the same person and that we communicated differently. And so um, I grew up in the Midwest. I'm kind of a Midwest boy, I guess you would say. But I married a Jersey girl. 
And uh, life in Jersey and Midwest is a bit different, especially in communication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we had a different way of communicating. And so um, I found myself, I didn't realize that you could actually have multiple conversations going on in the same conversation. And they do that in New Jersey a lot easier where, where I'm used to please and thank you and it's your turn to talk. And then another person would talk. And, and that was just a different thing for us. And I found uh, myself feeling like they were like, wait, stop, let's listen to me. You know, so uh, it was a little bit more of a struggle to understand. So I, I would, um, uh, we would be driving down the road and, and Melinda would say, pull in there and park in that spot. And I'm like, I would just drive right past it because I felt offended. I'm like, you just told me what to do. And no like, way. Oh. <laughs> I don't believe you. Did that really happen? Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> And I've never seen Scott get angry in my entire life, so I'm just fascinated by that. I was like, what? I can't believe this. And she's like, why didn't you pull in there? Like, because you told me to pull in there. Like, and I, like, I was waiting for the please, or Here, here's a suggestion, and it was like, here's a directive. But in New Jersey, that was a little bit more normal. What, was it a little bit different in, in your culture than mine, I guess? Um, your, your, I don't your think culture. I <laughs> It is culturally different, believe it or not. Um, I grew up in, you know, an Italian family, and where maybe I didn't realize it was different, than everything else until I went to college in the South. And everybody's like, oh, you're from Jersey. They're really rude up there. I'm like, no, we're not. And I didn't, but then all of a sudden everybody was like, so sugar sweet in the South, which was something I was not used to, but was very, you know, endearing. And then after I was in school in Virginia for a while, and then I went home and I realized, oh my gosh, we are. We're a little bit more rude. It's like, well, don't, you know, just go through all the sugary stuff, just, you know, cut to the chase and say what you need to say. Say it loud, say it quickly, talk fast. And yeah, I didn't see a problem with that. <laughs> and it sounds like you still don't necessarily. It was like we had to adjust ships, you know, it was like the sails were going to be adjusted a little bit. But it was cool because once I understood that, it made sense why we would have these, these situations that were not problems, it was just communication styles, they were different. And so once we realized that, it was, oh, you're just doing that. So there'll be things that, that uh, Melinda will do even today, and the kids will look at it like, did you just say that? I go, she's just being Jersey. It's okay. It's okay. She wasn't. She didn't mean anything about it. It was just how it was. But, but, uh, and and you'll know if you meet us, you'll see that she is far sweeter and kinder and more giving than I am. It's just a different way of communication. So it has nothing to do with motives. It's just different. And so, but we found ourselves as we were getting started in our life together as, with marriage and stuff. We, uh, we we spent one year together in um, as first year married in Virginia, right where we were comfortable with college. And then God would call us to Missouri, and we'd be away from friends and family for four years and boy communication was everything we had because we were so away from everybody else and so uh, there were many times that we just sat and talked and listened and learned to grow from that and even started dreaming about how we would start a family and create a culture within our own family as first what we would value is how to communicate and how important that was you remember those days a little bit um yeah, it was fun because neither of us came from a good example of what a family or what a good marriage should look like. We had, we basically started at ground zero. And if anything, we might have had, especially in Scott's stance, a little bit maybe not a positive example of what marriage should be. So we were constantly looking towards people that maybe could mentor us and maybe that we can draw from. And it was fun because when we started our own family and talking about it, it was like, you know, how would we do it differently? And neither of us were ever allowed to have Christmas lights on our house. So the first year, guess what we did? We had a ton of Christmas lights on our house because we could do it our way. And we talked about what would be best for us. But it was fun to dream and to see how do we mesh these two worlds 
And, you know, it's not always easy. And sometimes, especially in my stance, I could easily, and probably this week, have said things, and Scott's like, really? Like, you're going to say it that way still? It's been all these years. But it's hard <laughs> to kind of get that out of you. But then I realized that I have to stop and listen. And, and then also the fact that, you know, he's a night person. He got in at 3 a.m. this morning. You might not know that. And then, but I'm like an early bird, so that's always fun with communication as well. Yeah, so like in the morning, wake up, and she's like... Oh, I have so much to tell you. And I'm like, like, I'm trying to take it in. And there's so much to say. And, um, and, and then I'm, I, I pay her back in the evening for the same way when, when she's ready to go down. I'm like, oh, and then there's some great news I have to tell you. And so we kind of wear each other out a little bit that way. But we've learned. So it's not been easy, but it's been worth it. You know, I remember one time when uh, something, she had a really, really tough day. And uh, we were just getting together. And, and we're driving down the road. And she was telling me about it. And the tears started to come. And I did, like, what a good husband should do. You know, I, I, I got ready ready to, to fix the problem. You know? <laughs> she's just, she just telling me about the day. And I'm like, okay, well, that's probably because of this and this. And I'm already got the toolbox out. And I'm already going to make her problem better. And um, she just looked at me. And it was one of the best things she ever said. Melinda tells me, she looks at me and says, you know, I, I really am not looking for an answer. I just want you to listen. I just want you to hear where I'm at. And I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> you know, like, I'm a guy, you know. I already had the plans to fix and stuff, but, uh, you know, that was so valuable because then I find myself, even to this day, like, did I listen? <laughs> you know, and so, so we're still working on it. So it's a work in progress. I don't think we ever feel like you got that place where, you know, we've got this thing down, but it's so worth it. You know, you feel like when you take the time to listen, um, you know, then it says, hey, your word is so valuable to me. I want to listen. So I think that's the biggest one. If I, I'm listening first, just like the verse that we shared, you know, can we be quick to listen? Because it's sometimes we're quick to talk. True that. Wait a minute, you're done? I thought we had a timer, so. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Clarifying question, you said something about Christmas lights, just so we're on the same page. You haven't put them up yet, have you? And we might not have had lights on our house the last several okay, years. Good. We've kind of well, regressed. Just a, Candles in the windows, It's no a deal breaker for me if you guys have your Christmas lights up already. So. <laughs> well, um, so... When, you're, when your kids were younger, was there any challenges that went into to communication between you two there? Because now they're gone, and you don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to deal with that. But now, you know, what was that like then? How did you create an environment where communication could happen then? Yeah, because obviously they would take a lot of the attention, and so it would be, you know, and, and rightfully so, because they're growing up and stuff. So we had, had to, you know, figure out that. But we were already, already starting to say, well, what kind of culture are we creating in our family as far as communication and how that would look. And so I'm going to hand off to Melinda on this one because I really think she had the, uh, the great idea in this and then really helped make sure that this was something. Even, even in the craziest of days, and we have those, and you do too, but what do you do to make sure that your family and uh, sees that we communicate? First of all, they need a, they're drawing from us, and I feel like that's super important. But then how do we do that to where they feel, oh, that's why you communicate and why you listen so well? You may think this is strange, but in my family, when we get together and talk, uh, especially now, I'm probably fourth place as far as being able to share in the most words because we've made a culture where our kids feel like they really can share and so uh, but that took a lot of work and and so the dinner table ideas yeah I think and I don't even know so much of what we did and I didn't realize it until now I don't know if we necessarily planned it we prayed and asked God okay how would you like us to do it and then we kind of just probably flew by the seat of our pants and 
but I don't even know if it was on purpose or accidentally, but we tried to make dinner time a priority. And I know we had kids that played sports that were super busy, that were super social, but as much as we could, if it was like an early dinner before every game, or if it was maybe eight, nine o'clock at night and we're sitting down together and you know, we would sit around our kitchen table and just probably mostly listen. And it was fun to watch, to listen about their days. And then they got to hear about us because obviously being in ministry, you know, our kids got to grow up in a fishbowl. And, you know, and that, you know, had, you know, good things and maybe bad things. But on the same hand, I see what it helped create them. But just making that dinner time and listening a priority. And so many times my daughter just said something Friday night. And she was like, you know, I like the way you guys did this. And I was like, wow, I don't think we had a plan on it. But it's really cool to know. And probably the sweetest times that I have now. And Scott says he's like fourth when we all get together because we do. You know, if I could have dinner with anybody, any time period, anywhere, I would choose my family above all. The four of us sitting around our table in our assigned seats, which kind of happened by accident, and just listening to the things that they have to say. And there's been times I've got this, we've got to sit in the car driving and listen to our two adult children in the back seat just talking about their love for God, about their philosophies of life, all these things. And trust me, it wasn't just like a smooth road the whole way. We had our bumps like everybody else. But it's cool when God lead your children. And it's cool to just listen to them take on the things that you've said. And where most of you are at now, you're not going to see that right now. But there is a light at the end. I don't believe you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so so nice you, created, you created an environment, uh, like a space in your life to make sure that a, a place where communication could happen. And you did it for your family. Um, when did you start? Like how old were the kids? Do you remember? Like you said, you weren't really planning it, but was it a was it a dinner time thing when they were like two or ten? Probably easier when they were littler. It comes a little <laughs> more. T- <laughs> I beg to differ, but I don't know. <laughs> let me let me describe the dinner table to you. <laughs> two year old here, possibly throwing things, probably throwing things. Ten year old complaining about what's being eaten. The eight year old saying he loves what's being eaten, but only because he wants to tick the 10-year-old off. And me and Lisa look at each other like this, kind of across the table. Is that, is that we're doing it right? Or? That's, the good stuff. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Okay. You'll miss it. Okay. <laughs> Scold. But I really love the idea of, of being intentional about creating a space where this can happen because, you know, we, we were just having this conversation in, in the car ride uh, somewhere to some kid thing where if we don't schedule things, they don't happen. And, and like actually having something on the calendar say, hey, a couple times a week, we're not going to eat McDonald's in the back seat. You know, <laughs> we're, we're going to actually sit down at the table, no TV, and actually do this thing right. Um, I think that's a really cool thing to, to create a space for that to happen. Uh, long as things aren't being thrown, you know, whatever. Uh, all right, so uh, to shift over to talking about uh, week two, we talked about taking responsibility uh, and how um, important it is in a relationship uh, to, to understand that, listen, both people are sinners. Uh, so the, one of the main verses we looked at was Romans 3.23, for everyone is sin, we all fall short of God's glorious standard, including your spouse, including you. Um, and the idea that in every conflict in marriage, there, never is there a, a, a scenario where one person is 100% wrong and one person is 100% innocent. Uh, never. Never. Now, in our marriage, early on, <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? 
God made me uh, in such a way that I can kind of sniff out inconsistencies. Uh, I'm good at building arguments. It's a strength that can be used for good right here most of the time, right? Um, But my strength, if left unchecked, can be a double weakness. So early in our marriage, I weaponized this strength uh, and turned it on my wife. And um, since, because I've always kind of known there's never just, there's never a fully innocent party in any conflict. I've always known that. And I'm just really good at it. Even if it's just 1% her fault, (laughs) I am really good at building an argument around that 1%, kind of forging it into a crowbar to jam in there and and use it as leverage against uh, my wife. You guys should be impressed with how good I was at it. Um, And (laughs) I could just build a beautiful airtight argument around that 1%. So the first couple of years, I really never lost a fight. Is that true? I just want to confirm. Okay. Undefeated, baby. Undefeated. <laughs> and if you're competitive, you get that, right? There's, it's weird. Like, you kind of think, like, that's, I, if we're fighting, that's what I'm supposed to do, right? I'm supposed to win. Isn't that what you're supposed to do if we're fighting? Um, and I remember talking to my mentor about it. And he warned me about never losing. Uh, and how something would happen to her. And uh, like, like what, the line he kept saying to me is, Adam, even if you win, you're going to lose. And I never understood what he meant by that um, until it started to happen. And um, I don't know how to describe it. She kind of crystallized, kind of hardened, kind of got cold. Um, and I was, so I was winning all the fights and losing, losing the marriage. I was losing. Um, so, so a couple of things had to happen for me. Um, number one, I had to see how my tactics were affecting her in the marriage. Um, so if this is you, if you're like, yeah, I win every fight, this is what, it, this is what we do, right? My first realization was, oh, this, this, this is going to hurt her. Even though I'm, I'm winning every fight, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, it's hurting her. Um, there was a growing coldness between us that I was creating by doing that. Um, even though I was right. I was right, though. <laughs> uh, two, I had to change my objective in conflict. I had to change my objective. Winning seemed like the obvious goal. And again, being competitive, I'm like, that's just obviously what I should do. But the goal in conflict in marriage is not winning, but understanding. The goal in conflict in marriage is not winning, but understanding. I had to shift from trying to win an argument with my wife to trying to understand my wife, um, which a lot of times requires listening and not fixing and all that stuff. Um, And then three, and really this is the most important one, and really this is kind of the only one that mattered, is I had to break that prideful streak in me. Because that's another thing. God made me stubborn. And there's a part of that that's good and I need it. But I'm not supposed to weaponize it and use it against my wife. Um, And in most of our conflict, and that's still true, in most of our conflict, the real problem is I just don't want to say I'm sorry. I just don't. I'd rather um, her say her sorry, she's sorry first. And then I'll say I'm sorry. Because, you know, she's more wrong than me. Um, But that whole idea of like saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to break, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness, that's, that's really the most important thing. So if you're, in, if you're in conflicts all the time and you're realizing that like you really care about the other person saying they're sorry first, I just want to tell you, and this is an uncomfortable truth, but you're a prideful, I would say a cuss word, you're a prideful something, donkey. And um, you, you need to break, you need to ask God to help break you of that so that like the communication can actually happen in the in the learning about each other and understanding each other can actually happen so what was this like for you uh okay so it was so awesome it was great to me (laughs) 
Um, I am a visual learner. Like, I love having visual illustrations. And a few years ago, I guess it was a while ago, I read a book called Unglued by Lisa Turkhurst. And she shared a lot of stories and illustrations about how people um, process conflict in unhealthy ways. And I realized that I had done that for the first part of our marriage, all of these different strategies. Um, and again, the visual part, it was helpful for me to think of any time Adam had said something or done something that offended me, it was like him handing me this rock of offense. Um, maybe sometimes it felt like more like he was chucking it at me. <laughs> but either way, now I had this rock and I had, to, I had to deal with it. I had to do something with it. So early in our marriage, I was really good. Um, I didn't grow up in Jersey, but I feel like we are soul sisters. <laughs> like our house was loud and we fought a lot. Um, so early in our marriage, that's what I did. I would take those rocks and hurl it right back at him, like in the most hurtful ways I could think of. Sometimes it was with my mouth, other times it was with my actions. But either way, um, he was going to know that I was upset and it was 100% his fault. Um, <laughs> so after a while of Adam always winning our fights, I started... I, I caught the rocks and threw them back. Yes, always. yeah. Yeah, I... I I never won. Um, and after that happened for a while, I realized, like, it's just not worth it. So I'm just going to start collecting these rocks. And I stuffed them down inside. And after a while, the pressure would build, and I would just explode like a volcano. And now I, I have weaponized, and I am now um, throwing all of these rocks of retaliation at my husband, um, telling him what a horrible human he is. I had this, this lovely list from the past days, weeks, sometimes months of all the things he had done wrong and why um, I was right, he was wrong. I just really wanted validation for my feelings um, and what was going on. But um, again, it still didn't quite work, probably because there was a lot of shame on my end for how I had reacted, so I still ended up being the one apologizing. Um, so then I learned that instead of collecting the rocks on the inside, I just started collecting them on the outside. And I built this beautiful wall um, and this barrier between us. And it was awesome. It was <laughs> this wonderful, um, extremely effective defense mechanism. I just stopped caring. Um, narrator comment, it was not awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible. Um, it, but it was super effective because I was no longer being hurt um, or offended as often um, because I just wasn't feeling it. But the downside of that is I was not feeling anything towards Adam about our marriage. Um, I was, like he said, it was cold and distant. And um, we were just, I kind of felt like we were roommates at that point. Um, it was really, it was easier in, in most aspects uh, from like emotional standpoint, but it really wasn't better <laughs> by any means. So. Um, that was, by the way, one of the scariest things you used to say to me when you would say we're roommates. I'm like, but we have sex. <laughs> roommates don't do that. <laughs> But it was always like this thing. I'm like, ooh, that, that means the relationship has shifted. It was a big deal. Yeah. Um, so I just, I went through a really humbling season where from reading, reading the Bible, obviously, um, reading some other books along with that one. And um, God just really worked in my heart and showed me all of my issues, like the blame that I had in our relationship and my pride, um, because I obviously wasn't always right either. And through all of that praying and just God really, hum super humbling and a, a really great, awful experience. <laughs> but um, God just showed me like a new, a new way, a new method of what I needed to do with these rocks of offense. Um, 
that I needed to pray over them and give them to God. And it sounds like so cliche and Christian, like, just pray. <laughs> but um, it literally, that it, it's what I did. And it was really a two-part prayer. Like, first, like, God, please help me, like, discern this offense. Is this, like, really a big deal? Or am I just letting my own insecurities and my own pride, like, exp- make this something that it's not? And, and am I being unfair to my husband? Do I have these unrealistic expectations of like what I think he should or shouldn't be doing? Um, am I assuming the worst in him and assuming the best of myself? Like, God, please just help me discern this. Um, and then if I, if I felt like the second part of that prayer was then, okay, so if it is kind of a big deal, if it's something Adam and I should talk about, please give me the right opportunity to have that discussion. Um, timing in those conversations is so important. God helped me realize that there is, it's like the Bible says, there's a time and a place for everything. And those um, difficult conversations, it's, timing is so important. So I would pray and ask God for opportunities where we wouldn't be distracted by our kids um, and where we could have those conversations. And I could show him my rock instead of throwing it at him <laughs> um, and try to explain to him in a loving and gentle way and with a lot of humility of my own. Um, and then just trying to ask a lot of questions, like to try to understand his perspective of why he was saying or doing those things. Um, right. I think that's one of the biggest that. things we discovered was was we never figured things out in the fight. Yes. No. We fought, and then we'd have the conversation later. That's where we like yes. made the progress that we needed to make. Yes. So it was everything was about timing and when when the emotions were settled and be like, yes. okay, I was being stupid. And mm-hmm. So it was it was timing was really everything mm-hmm. there. For yeah. Real. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I, it's been a long road of a lot of imperfect progress, and I'm still not perfect at this. There's still days where I let my emotions or my hormones get the best of me, and I'm hurling rocks at him. <laughs> or children. Sometimes I'm throwing the children. Um, but it's it, this really been a game changer, and I feel like like the key thing that I try to like tell myself often is just because I think it and feel it doesn't mean we have to talk about it right now. I don't have to share it with him right now. Um, so, Yeah, we could do a whole separate yes. <laughs> sermon on, on what it means to, to, to do all this when your wife is pregnant. <laughs> if you guys want to do like seminar on what this is like, um, if your wife is pregnant, we could do like some kind of support group. Um, That's messed up. <laughs> whatever. I'm crystallizing come, right now. Come talk, come talk to me in a couple years, buddy. Cry on my shoulder. All right. So, so um, your stage, what does is, what is conflict look like for you guys? Yeah, so this is actually, it's, it's cool because we don't really have conflict at all. I know, I, I, I'm telling you, guys, this is not a joke, I promise. So Tara is a, she's a, a marriage therapist. Um, so something I have really just learned um, is that I'm just always wrong. That's it. Um, that's pretty much the number one thing that I've learned. Um, yeah, and she's really helped me, guided me. <laughs> me. And, uh, and you've only been married for two years. You already figured yeah, it out. Yeah, I only have two amazing. years of, of bitterness, so we're going to work through that later probably. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, so it's so something that I feel like I have a special privilege to do is just sit across the table from you and say, Adam, things are crazy right now, and I don't know if we're going to get through this or whatever. And then, you know, Adam will always say, like, 
it's okay, it's just a season, Lisa and I have always been through this, you know, blah, 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 and sometimes I genuinely don't believe you. I'm like, you're just saying that, like, you don't understand what is really happening here. I don't know if you guys ever feel like that or not. I'm like, you don't understand what's really happening. Um, Tara and I come from very different backgrounds. Um, our family structure is very different. The conflict style is very different. And so when we first got married, uh, it was very obvious that it was going to be a rocky, like, road, like, right off, right off the bat. Um, so, yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> still is. Yeah, still haven't nailed conflict down. But, um, yeah, I would say how we... I don't know, handle conflict, deal with conflict, kind of like how you were saying, like, that's kind of been, like, the saving grace in our relationship is how we do conflict. That's something that I'm very thankful that my wife is actually kind of a pro at this. She's like, she can teach me. This is how we do conflict. And once my pride gets taken down a little bit, I can go, you know what? I don't like you right now, but that's really good right now. <laughs> so it works. Isn't it works. that interesting? Because I think a lot of it is those early fights are almost not about the thing. No. You're fighting about fighting yeah. to figure out how to fight. And then once the ground rules are laid, now when we could, we could have the same conflict now, but it's dealt with very different right. than it was when we were only married <laughs> two years. And I think once you kind of figure out those ground rules and you agree upon them, yeah. then it's a lot yeah. easier. And like you said, like for us, the starting place had to be, like we learned this really quickly, is like, hey, we can't, make decisions or like talk through stuff in the moment. We just can't, we're not capable of doing that. And sometimes, especially for the big things, but even for the small things sometimes, it's just like, I just know myself well enough to know that I'm just gonna get irritated. Or I'm just gonna blow up on you right now. So I'm just gonna walk away. We're gonna figure this out another time. Dude, whatever color she wants to paint the bathroom, just let her paint the bathroom <laughs> that color, man. Problem solved. I, yeah, I just, just say yes, you can, ma'am. You can see the house, I promise you, I just gave up. I gave up and our marriage is great right now, so. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say for, you know, one of the things that has been really helpful for us with conflict and figuring out how to fight has been setting limitations on fighting. And it may sound silly, but we have some rules when it comes to arguing um, things that we will do and things that we will not do. And we've shared them with some people at times and it seemed a little bit nitpicky, but um, it's really important for us in order to be able to have healthy conflict. Yeah. So like, I'll just give you an example. Like for me, like, we don't, we try not to call each other names. That's just something that we just try not to do because we know that name calling just leads to like another rock that I can get thrown at me or whatever, you know what I mean? So that's something that we just try to avoid altogether. We kind of take the, it takes, helps to take the heat out of it. Um, and then something else that's just really big for us. Um, and again, we set this on early on was like, we never want to use the, the word divorce ever in, in our fights, just ever. If we just take that out, like, I don't know, it closes a door, you know what I mean? It closes that escape hatch. Um, and it, it can just even be like a flippant thing, especially in our culture today, it's a flippant thing, you know what I mean? Um, but we decided early on, like, hey, let's, let's just take this out of our vocabulary. And I don't know, it's just, we have nowhere to go, but, but inward, you know what I mean? So that's just been a huge thing for us, just with our words. And for action, what was really important for me was that in the, 
you know, growing up in my family, we were all fighters. And so everyone would be grasping for a sense of control because we felt so out of control emotionally. And so for me, what I would do is I would leave. And early on in our marriage, I mean, I want to say it was in the first couple of months, you know, we got in a big fight and I was like, well, I'm leaving. And I like walk out and I didn't mean gone, gone, right? I just meant, you know, again, grasping for any type of control, trying to make John feel something, hoping that I would leave and he'd be thinking about all the wrong things that he did to make me leave. And that's wrong stuff too, actually, like, now that I process. This. And that, yeah, and I know him well enough that that's not what he was thinking. <laughs> he promise. wasn't. I would come home and I'd be more frustrated because he'd be like playing video games. Like, you didn't even work! Hey, hey, we talked about this. <laughs> so anyway. Like, put the pizza's boxes away. <laughs> So what another rule that we came up with that we don't leave, we don't leave. And you can go into another room, you can go sit in the bathroom. I don't care where you go in the house, but you don't leave and you don't walk away, at least without resolution. We're at least gonna say, I'm sorry. We're gonna, you know, both say that we need time and space um, and that we're gonna set a time to talk about it later and then I can go to Target. Uh, so we, you know, Start we a put new parameters, fight. yeah. <laughs> but those parameters have really helped us navigate conflict, really which has been really important. Good. So let's, let's move along then, the end of conflict, let's switch over to the subject of sex. Um, we can talk about that. If <laughs> yeah, so, so our last week in the, last week in the series, we, we switched the subject of sex and uh, we figured we would let the young couple, actually it's, it really is, so we sat down as a group, me, Scott, and Jonathan, and we're like, okay, let's look at the series, and Jonathan's like, I want to talk about sex, before he could even get the sentence out. <laughs> Um, so let, let, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I, I was like, are you sure your wife's okay with that? <laughs> but if that was yeah, a fight. I told her last night we were going to talk about this. So okay, good. Fine. Yeah. A lot of notice. <laughs> that's process. good. That's good. So the verse, uh, that, that one of the main verses we looked at was first Corinthians seven, um, somewhere in one through five is the message version. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. So... I was going to ask, what does that look like? Um, yeah, so I'm just going to take go over. Go ahead. Now, so. I don't want to accidentally. I already got through this last week. I, I made it great without saying anything wrong, so I'm going to let you go ahead and just, just take away. My yeah, mind. so uh, married sex is the best sex. I'll just say that. We can all clap and cheer for that right now. Yep. If you haven't tried it, you should get married and try it. It's great. Um, it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, the way, I think the way that I viewed sex was, was probably like most guys, I don't know, either, you know, if you if you haven't, you know, had sex before or whatever in the marriage, like, there's a lot of maybe misconceptions or ways or, you know, things that our culture tells us, hey, this is what sex is all about or movies or, you know, whatever. Um, so I had my head was, it was full of tons of ideas um, of what I thought it would be and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I was wrong about most of it, <laughs> but it's still awesome, but I was wrong about most of it. Um, and, you know, after that honeymoon stage, I don't know how long that lasts, I would say. I don't know. For us, I feel like we're still in it. But, but um, <laughs> I would say, like, for me, like, my idea about sex or how I viewed it was, like, just, it's that one quote that's, like, you know, sex is like pizza. When it's good, it's good. And when it's bad, it's still pretty good. Um, and so, I don't know, like, if I was, you know, if we were having sex, I was like, great, this is awesome. And, uh... When we weren't, I was like, well, we should. Um, I don't know what's going on here. But, yeah, I don't know. For me, I, I had some ideas of what I thought sex would be. And, uh, I don't know, we were, I felt like we were kind of just, you know, getting a rhythm. And it was, it was good, at least. 
That's what I thought. So I hear it was good. <laughs> um, so that's where I'll step in a little bit. I will preface this. <laughs> I'll preface this by saying that as a marriage therapist, I've gotten really comfortable with talking about other people's sex life, um, keyword being others, so not my own. Um, so if I look a little bit uncomfortable, it's because I am. So we'll just put that out there. This is Jonathan's fault. Yes, thank you, husband. You can see my smile. I can't hide my smile. <laughs> so anyway, earlier on in this year, um, we had hit a place in our marriage where we were just kind of on cruise control, and we had hit year two, and nothing was wrong, per se. There was nothing bad, but I realized that I was experiencing a lack of physical, or not physical, emotional connection and intimacy with John. Um, and it... it had led to more conflict, it had led to um, finding opportunities to choose separation rather than unity, and I was not really content with that. I wasn't okay with that. So one day when I was really feeling this, I decided to go to my safe space, uh, the Wadsworth Library, and I was looking around and just happened to find this book, and I flipped through this book, and it was so validating, and I was like, absolutely, I love this book, John's going to love this book, John needs to read this book, the book is called The Man's Guide to a Woman by Dr. <laughs> Gottman, and I was like, amen, please read this book, you need to read this book. What? Yes. And, um... <laughs> But being the smart wife that I am, I knew that if I just went home with this book and was like, John, you need to read this, it would never work. So I knew that there had to be a level of you know, buy-in from him or something that he would gain in the process as well. So while looking at other books, I happened to find a book by Dr. Kevin Lehman called How to Have a New Sex Life by Friday. And that's where it all started. So Wait a minute. We're, our Thrive Group is going through How to Have a New Kid by Friday. I didn't know he wrote that too. It's good. We're switching books. It's good. <laughs> So anyway, I was like, okay, well, if I get this book, and if I'm willing to read this book, then surely John will read his book. You know, again, the intention all being that John would correct his ways. Um, so I came home, I told John what we were doing, I told him, you know, we're both going to read a book or a, a chapter from our respective books throughout the week, and then we'll come together for one night out of the week and we'll talk about it. Oh my goodness, the eye rolls that I got from him. Until, until I told him the title of my book, and he was like, Okay, well, I mean, I'll try it. Um, and that, honestly, and so we call it book club. So that's when book club was formed. Um, a weekly date night that we, sometimes we talk about our books, sometimes we don't. It's just a, an intentional time to spend together and to open up um, intimate conversations about connecting with one another, both on an emotional and a physical level. So when we started book club, it was amazing to see the way that it walked us into this new season flavored with emotional and physical connection and intimacy with one another. Um, you know, just a little bit of intentionality and willingness to have some tough and sometimes really awkward conversations about connection, emotion, um, feeling intimate with each other, even physically, like with sex. Um, you know, that just took us into a whole new course of our marriage. And it's been really sweet to live in that. What she said. That's... <laughs> so to clarify, yeah. Jonathan, can you explain what a book club night um, yeah, so not in detail. typically, <laughs> typically, like Tara usually works a little bit later since she has clients later and stuff. So like, this is my routine for book club, right? Because it's like, it's supposed to be not just about reading. You know what I mean? It's no, like, I don't explain. So I know <laughs> that, I know that book club for me starts with like, I'm going to clean the house. And I want the first thing that my wife to see is like a clean house. 
I want to try to cook dinner. I'm not that great at cooking, but like, I'm going to try it anyways. And like, I want her to have a clean house when she comes home, sits down to food that's already there. And like, as soon as she walks in the door, like date night has started or book club has started. And that's super important uh, for, for my wife to feel like I'm taking it seriously. Cause you know, we tried it before a few times where it's like, she gets home and I'm, you know, doing whatever, playing video games, and it's supposed to be book club night, and she, like, will let me know right away, like, with the eyes, that I have messed up. Um, <laughs> so I've learned. I'm learning. And uh, so that's kind of the start, is, like, setting that temperature. Um, and then we pull the couches together. We open up our books. I'll typically start, um, or she'll start, whatever, uh, and we'll, like, go through, hey, this is what I'm reading, whatever. And I found, like, a lot of times, too, just as a side note, like, a lot of times we're not even really talking about the book stuff. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about our past. We're talking about our childhood. We're talking about ways that maybe I feel disrespected or ways that I've hurt you or there's, it just opens up the possibility once you set that time aside. Um, and yeah, it's just changed so much. And then we have sex and it's, it's for me, it's like, it's the full, it's the full thing. Like we connect both physically and emotionally. Like, and that's something that I'm learning is, you know, you can't, and, and culture tries to do this, but, like, it just doesn't work. You can't separate sex from that, that emotional connection. You can't separate sex from physical safety or whatever the world would try to, you know, isolate it. That's not how it works. And that's why when it's done, like, in the context of marriage and intentionally, like, I believe that God has intended it to be, like, you, you reap the full rewards and the full benefits of that. Um, and so, like, book club is my favorite night of the week, not just because I have sex, but because it sets the tone for our entire week. And that's something that we can always look forward to every week. Do you guys have, like, a set night, or does it fluctuate based on your schedule? We're not telling you that. <laughs> I just want to know when Nobody to leave you alone, to know man. when our book club is. But what's re- so what's really cool no, is Just that- so you know, I know when your book club is. <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan has a... I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry. Jonathan has a little bounce in his step. He comes in. It's book club night. I promise you I know when your book club is. I'm sorry. That's great. So do you want to talk about connecting in the bedroom? I'm sorry. He's just excited about it. I wear my emotions on my sleeve, people. I just, I can't hide it. I was very excited to share this with you all because it's important. It's important. Yeah, so... Um, we wanted to share a little bit of, um, so Adam, when he preached last weekend, he had this point that just really stuck out to us. And, uh, it was talking about how, uh, you know, in order, uh, in order to be, uh, connected in the bedroom for Tara, like she has to feel connected outside the bedroom and then the opposite for me. And so we were kind of talking about that briefly as like, Hey, like, what are some things that like, you know, you do, or I do. And, and, and as we came up with this kind of list, like, it was just, I don't know, it was really encouraging, and it was cool just to see, like, the progress that we've made, um, and, like, we just started that, like, this year book club, and, um, like, I, I genuinely believe it's set, it's, like, ticked the trajectory of our marriage, like, in, in a way that, like, we are, we're just looking forward to, like, every year now, um, every month, every week, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing, so, like, for me, uh, ways that, like, I, I, like, I have learned to really pursue Tara outside of the bedroom, um, a, a, 
like one of the big things for me is just like that communication piece, right? So whether it's leaving a, a you know, a cute voicemail, um, she likes the cute stuff, you know, so you got to do the cute voicemail. Do you sing? Um, I, I have done, yeah, I have over the phone. Yeah, I have, yeah. Um, it's his advantage that's over my the rest advantage, of yes. mortals. <laughs> yes, literally can do that. Um, uh, basically, it's just that intentionality piece, whether it's a text or, you know, a phone call, voicemail, whatever, is like, hey, stop whatever you're doing right now. Just like, I just want to let you know I'm thinking of you. And it makes a huge difference. Um, gentlemen, we have to get better at this. Like, it's an easy thing to do, uh, and it makes a world of difference. Another big thing uh, is just, again, like I said before, like, just kind of pitching in around the house. Like, yeah, we don't have kids yet, and I get it, and things aren't maybe as stressful as some of you guys. Um, but, like, whatever that might look like for when we do have kids or whatever, like, I'm just committed to that process. Um, again, it's going to change. It's going to get more hectic, like, but I'm committed to doing that. Like, whatever Tara thinks uh, is, like, going to be the less stressful thing, like, I want to just do that. Um, and, and, I, and, like, again, selfishly, like, every, everything is better because of that, and, and that's just really cool. Um, and, uh, like, lastly, I would say just, like, listening, just being intentional with listening, like, I like to hear the sound of my own voice. Um, and, you know, it's that's nice okay sound. for some things, but I am not a good listener, and I am, like, constantly interrupting. I have issues, people. And uh, that's something that, like, Tara's called me out on. And so, like, when we do book club, like, I want to make sure that, like, when she's talking, like, I'm going to try to simmer down a little bit and let my ADHD brain just kind of slow down and let her get through what she needs to get through. So the other side of that is, ladies, how do we pursue our husbands to connect in the bedroom? Um, and the first way, and these are things that we've kind of learned through book club and then personal experience, but the one, I, I would say like the biggest thing that really I took away from book club um, was building anticipation. Ladies, we have anticipation as a gift that we get to use you for do. our husbands um, that is really, really beneficial when it comes to our sex life. So um, when we're talking about anticipation, we're talking about using our words and using... Um, you know, dreaming and planning to maybe, you know, build excitement for a time that does work. I don't know about you, but I'm a planner. I like to have everything planned. You will rarely find me at a time where, like, that moment is not intentionally planned. Um, so, you know, John and you married will, Jonathan. Yes, That's so awesome. and John's not so much that way. So John will sometimes, you know, spring on me that he would like to spend some time together, and it like timing. That's not normal. Timing, what? I don't. Oh, it's normal. Like as I'm leaving for work, um, and that's just not. That's just not it practical. Happens. So it's just not always practical. So. <laughs> So that's where anticipation Shoot comes shot, in. Man. Rather than being the person who always says yes or no, and that it's always up to me, and I'm the one that dictates whether or not we're, we're connecting physically or not, like that's not fair for me to hold. So rather than doing that, just based on a schedule standpoint, um, you know, that's where we can use anticipation. You know, we may not be able to do this right now, but I would love to do this with you later. And let's like dream this up and make this a little bit exciting so that you're ready to rush home right after work, help me with whatever needs to be done so that that thing you've been anticipating is going to come sooner. Um, that is a sure way to, to get him home pretty quickly after work. Um, so using, using that anticipation piece is, is, is pretty helpful. The second part would be... Um, I was oh. just say, I'll clean anything. Yes, Sorry, it is ahead. true. <laughs> He's a lot more helpful when I, you know, 
build that anticipation. So number two would be allowing sex to be a normal part of your conversation in a marriage. Um, it needs to be. It honestly really, really needs to be. We talk about everything else. We talk about our schedules. We talk about our kids. We talk about our dreams. But we don't talk about sex. Um, and we need to, not only to, you know, talk about planning when we're going to be able to have sex, but also for, like, dream together. Not just about your future, but about what your hopes are and what your fantasies are with sex. Um, it's important to be open with one another and to be able to fulfill that in one another and connect on that level. And the last part that I would, or the last piece that I would say we've, we've really been able to utilize in pursuing you inside the bedroom is women, we have to be invested. And I am so guilty of this. Um, I know that I've really struggled with doing whatever I needed to kind of check off the box and move along because of the other to-do list. Um, however, one of the quotes that really stuck out to me from my book was, and, it, and it, it softened my heart towards John and it softened my heart towards sex, was that in a marriage, I am the only person who is able to fulfill the sexual desires of my husband. And those are God-given. God created him to be this way. Um, and those desires are mighty and those desires are important. And I'm the only person in the world that he's gonna allow to fulfill that. Well, you know what? That's important. Um, so that convicted me to not only do it, but to do it well. And to, you know, to, to do things, <laughs> to do things that were maybe a little bit out of my comfort zone um, for the sake of, you know, doing something that he likes. And, and that's not just in a weird way, but also in the sense of like, okay, let's brush our teeth. Like, Let's maybe wear something a little bit nicer. Um, you know, let's, let's turn a candle on. Whatever we need to do to be intentional and be invested in the moment so that it's not just a check off the box, box moment for John, um, but that it's something that, that he sees is important and intentional for me as well. Um, so those have kind of been three That's ways. Really cool. mm -hmm. Good job, man. <laughs> My wife is amazing, guys. <laughs> That's all I got to say. So here is my goal for this morning. Um, I wanted you to see three real marriages sitting on the stage um, with real people um, dealing with real stuff. Uh, and none of them are perfect. None of these marriages sitting up here are perfect. Probably closest right over here. Um, <laughs> but, but none of them are perfect. And I thought it would be just good for you to see that, that, they're, that your, your pastors, you know, we're not some high and up on some pedestal, like everything's great and all roses. Like, no, man, it's, it's hard sometimes. I wanted that to be something you could walk away going, okay, even, even the best of the best, the people who are supposed to have the best marriages, they have their issues. Um, and then secondly, that, that it's possible to have like a good marriage, you know, like that there's hope for that, like that even people with real problems, real issues, uh, not been married very long kind of, and then, you know, longer, like no matter what stage you're in, I think you can have a, a fulfilling and satisfying marriage. I just want to put it out there that it's possible. Um, that real people can have uh, what would be called a good marriage. Um, so here's, here's what I want, like, if I can, like, frame this up for as you walk out of here. Like, don't do the thing if you're one of those people, like, I have to do everything now. We're going to start having dinner every night. We're not going to throw rocks at each other. Is that our thing? We're not going to throw rocks at each other. And book club, book club is definitely happening. Like, um, <laughs> Don't, don't walk out of here and try to implement everything. Like, have a conversation and, and, talk, and try to implement maybe like one thing and say, man, what's the most important thing for, for us in the place that we're at? And just take one step towards whatever would make your marriage uh, better. Does that make sense? So don't, don't do the thing where you, get, you overwhelm yourself 